0: Except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 366 of Low Limit Football, the nine year anniversary show on this 4th of September, 2022. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight the transfer window is closed. Frankie De Jong and Cristiano Ronaldo never make highly anticipated moves. And we'll look at the winners and losers of the window. LAFC has lost total control of the supporter shield race after three straight losses, allowing the Philadelphia union to sneak into the top spot after four straight wins. As we head to MLS cup and the 2022 world cup is now 77 days away. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest while Jabir, middle Eastern football journalist, who will be joining us in January. Just a little bit but first let me get my co-host in here mr roberto rojas happy anniversary my man
2: happy anniversary joe it's been a pleasure doing this for the last nine years and obviously um being a part of it for the eight years of that has been really fun we've been able to talk about the thing that we've always enjoyed and that is football soccer as we stay here in the states it's been really fun and and honestly i i wouldn't have it other way any other way and here's to the next Nine more years, and I think now, you know, it's hard to believe that you said seventy-seven more days until that World Cup. It's it's been flying by fast, and I'm really glad that we were able to, to speak about it with our guest here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we got to look at. You know, both the the intricacies of attending the World Cup in Qatar, um, a predominantly Muslim country, the first time that the World Cup is being held in a predominantly Muslim country, a Middle, Middle Eastern country. Um, so there are going to be rules and regulations that fans will need to know about leading into that. Uh, but also the Qatari national team. Um you know, to discuss it was great insight as to the the team itself and how they've prepared and how how well they've really performed um, leading up to this World Cup. So I think uh, it was a great interview, and we're obviously going to bring that to you folks in just a little bit. Um, but first, let's let's get the show started proper, right? And we do that normally with our trivia question, and I have one for you. Uh, if you're ready, let's do it. So I'm looking for a number as an answer on this one, okay? Um, mm-hmm. But but bonus points if you give me names. Uh, Hani Mukhtar of Nashville FC has joined an exclusive list of players in MLS that have, ha, have, uh, accomplished 20 goals and 10 assists in a single season. How many other players have done this? Ooh. So again, bo- I have the, I have the names. Okay. Of the other players. Uh, so if you, um, if you wanted to throw names at me, I can give that to you as well. But, um, How many players have done 20 goals and 10 assists in a single season in MLS? We'll bring you that that answer at the end of the show. So, uh, opening thoughts. And our opening thoughts today or tonight uh, is going to surround uh, the World Cup. I'm sorry, not the World Cup. The Champions League draw. Uh, Obviously, the Champions League draw for 2022 uh, was was performed while we were away, and we have our group settings. We have uh, matches coming up this week, which you'll get in Match of the Week, and uh, some intriguing matchups. I think the first the first one. Let's let's look at. We always talk about how Waifa um, uh, likes to cook the uh, ping pong balls, right? To to get the matchups they wanted, and I think we all expected a Real Madrid Inter matchup. Uh, we didn't get Real Madrid Inter. We got the other. Spanish giant and enter in Barcelona in Group C, which round, was rounded out by uh, Bayern Munich and Victoria Pilsen, which is probably the "quote unquote" group of death. Um, and I felt bad for Pilsen being in that in that fourth pot, and all of a sudden they get their name drawn into this group, which was crazy. Um, but this was the theme to this one was uh, mega strikers returning home, wasn't it? Uh, Barcelona facing Bayern Munich in this group, Robert Lewandowski moving back to Bayern Munich or moving to Barcelona and now having traveled back to Bayern Munich to face his old team. And Erling Holland and Manchester City, who he is on an absolute tear right now in the Premier League, uh, will be traveling back to Borussia Dortmund in Group G as they also take on Sevilla and FC Copenhagen in uh, in their uh, Champions League run. So, you know, I'll give you the groups uh, as they are proper. In Group A, we have Liverpool, Napoli, Ajax, and Rangers. In Group B, Club Brugge, Bayer Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid, uh, and FC Porto. For me, the group of life. I think any of the four teams can come out of that one. Group C, like we had mentioned, Pilsen, Bayern Munich, Inter, and Barcelona. Group D, Tottenham, Marseille, Eintracht Frankfurt, and Sporting Lisbon. Group E, Chelsea, Salzburg, AC Milan, and Dinamo Zagreb. In Group F, Real Madrid defending champions, Celtic, Shakhtar Donetsk, and RB Leipzig. Group G, Manchester City, Dortmund, Sevilla, and Copenhagen, and Group H, Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, Maccabi Haifa, and Benfica. So, Mr. Rojas, I want to go to you first and ask you what your thoughts on the groups are.
2: Well, you talk about the reunions of strikers. You have to also look at the reunions of players. You know, obviously, Di Maria and Paredes making the reunion from Juventus to PSG. That's another one to mention. But overall, I think you could say that it really is a tournament that is still open. I think, obviously, you would look at some of the big teams that are there that are favored to win this competition. I think with the exception of maybe a Bayern Munich and, and you know maybe possibly a, a a Man City, the other groups look reasonably straightforward. I think you talk about that group of life with Porto Atleti, Bayer Leverkusen, and Club Bruges in Group B. I would actually like to look at it in Group D, where you have Tottenham, obviously, with Antonio Conte, Eintracht Frankfurt, the reigning... Europa League champions, and then two teams that have always been kind of been, you know, tricky teams for anyone in any European competition in Sporting Lisbon and, and Marseille. So I think that overall, they kind of look as if though they're groups that are kind of really straightforward. I think you could say that for teams like Real Madrid, you could say that for teams like, um, you know, even even Chelsea and Milan. I mean, this is no disrespect to Zagreb because I think they can make it difficult, but... You would favor those two over the other two in, in Salzburg and Zagreb. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it's it really is one. And, you know, even from your take, Joe, from, from Juventus, I think you could feel very optimistic. I mean, yeah, Juventus haven't exactly been playing so well to start the season. And obviously, the teams in there like a Benfica and a PSG are tricky. Even a Maccabi Alifa are also very much a, a tricky team if they're not careful. I think you could feel very confident. But I think, again, I think obviously with the group stage starting this week, it's a it's a good way to see how these teams have been been able to, to compete. We've seen them in obviously league competitions um, for the last couple of weeks now, obviously. So I'm curious to see how it goes. And honestly, it looks very open for anyone. Like, honestly, I, I think this, and we always say this every year, I think for the Champions League, and I think this is the same that will do it. I don't see a clear favorite, really, that look very much I would say not competitive but definitely hands-on the clear-on favorite to win this Champions League
0: yeah you know I I I think that these groups um for the most part lay out in the one-two step you know what I mean you you look at the at the groups for the most part and you say okay these two teams are probably the the top two there's a third that's that's gonna kind of stick their nose in a little bit and then there's a fourth that like you know one of these kids doesn't belong um, I think most of the groups actually lay out that way, and I mean, I'll even go through and, and tell you. For me, uh, Liverpool, although they have not been performing to, to snuff as of yet, are, are going to be that team, um, You know that number one side. I think Napoli is pretty much going to be the second, but I think Ajax and Rangers both stand a chance. Ajax, I, I would have been higher on them before they sold off many of their pieces in this transfer window, uh, but I think that Ajax and Rangers will both offer uh, a little pushback to both uh, Napoli and Liverpool, but I think ultimately that is where it's going to go. And and the first matchup between Napoli and Liverpool coming up this week is really going to be interesting. And we're going to talk about this with Wael as well because of, of two teams kind of, I, I want to say, I don't want to say opposite directions, but, but not exactly both trending upward, right? We saw Liverpool and Merseyside this week, uh, underperform I guess is the best way to put it against an Everton side that you know many of us were picking to be relegated this season and uh, and here's Liverpool can't manage a goal against them and this is the Liverpool team that scores a bajillion goals right Napoli on the other hand going and come from behind against Lazio they've been they've they had a six goal output earlier in the season so they look like they are moving forward and um the injury to Chucky Lozano this weekend might be something that is it could be a little long term uh By initial reports, it was a facial fracture. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, But, you know, at this point, Napoli and Liverpool, to me, and I'm going to ask you your question, your opinion, they look like the top two sides. Um, I think Ajax would have provided a little more pushback before they sold Anthony and and a couple other pieces. But I think that that is going to be your your definition. What are your thoughts on Group A?
2: Yeah, I would say so, too. I think, obviously, you would think that, you know, with the teams of IX and, you know, Rangers, obviously the runners up in the Europa League, they can probably make it kind of difficult. But I think obviously looking at kind of the strength and depth and what I think is important for these type of competitions, when you're playing multiple games and obviously with them starting, I think it's it's where those teams that have the the amount of players and the, and the talent in those that kind of have favor are favored a bit more and this is where Liverpool and Napoli enter the conversation.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, looking at Group B quickly, it doesn't. The next two groups really don't fall into that type of um, category in terms of top two, and then these other two. Um, I think for me, Club Brugge is the fourth team in this one that got paired into a group that uh, are going to have a, a, a good spot in in Atleti. I think uh, Atleti should move through here, but again, another side that is kind of you know, ebbing and flowing in terms of their performances. Leverkusen should do very well, and Porto should do very well, and I think that's going to be the competition, uh, is going to be Leverkusen and Porto for that other spot. But don't be surprised if both of them nudge Atleti out. What are your thoughts here?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. I hmm. think obviously they, they kind of are, I think for Atleti's cage, they kind of feel as if though they could feel positive, and, and honestly I think they can feel optimistic, but it's a tricky one. It really is a tricky one to, to really go for. I mean, yeah. obviously, also in Group C, that's the big one. That yeah. really is the big one to to, to not to, to be able to call because
0: those are three really good teams. Same to, idea. To... I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I wouldn't say. I think in Group C, it's a bit more tighter, though. And this is no disrespect to Porto or Leverkusen. I think, you know, you expect Atletico Madrid to qualify. Mm-hmm. Yep. That being said, you also expect Bayern Munich to qualify, so I think I think it's just I don't know I, I feel like maybe there's a bit more openness to it in terms of Group B rather than C. If I'm being honest
1: with you,
0: agreed. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Because I think I think Porto and Leverkusen are closer to Madrid um, than people than people think. Do you know oh. what I mean? So yeah. Th- there's a little more openness there. Um, group C. I just feel bad for Victoria Pilsen. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is the ping pong ball you did not want to be uh, getting into this group in Barcelona. Let's be honest; um, Barcelona looked pretty good to start, right? And with all the mm-hmm. turmoil, with all the financials, with all the moves and all the changes, um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where we weren't sure what Barcelona you were getting. I think I want to say when we when we had Summer on the on on the show to preview La Liga. I, we're like, what what Barca do you get? Do you get this disaster of a dumpster fire? Or do you get this, you know, well-performing, oiled machine that looks like the old Barcelona? And I think we're starting to trend towards the second a little bit in Barca. Um, you know, they, they obviously kept pieces. They, they've they triggered their financial levers where they were able to finally add Jules Koundé. They've added a few more pieces. They've spent a ridiculous amount of money. And I they must have been searching for through the couch cushions at, uh, at headquarters there because mm. I don't even know where they're finding the money at this point. Um, Inter uh, did not uh, perform as well as hoped in the Derby de la Madonnina this weekend. Uh, Bayern Munich, actually, I believe they drew as well this week. So, you know, this is, I think this group is closer. Again, I feel bad for Pilsen, but I, I would not want to pick a first and second place out of this group yet just because I think it's going to be very close.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah. Group D, uh, Tottenham Marseille on track Frankfurt sporting. This is another one that's tough to, I think, I think Spurs are through. I mean, I, I know everyone likes to talk about Spurs being Spursy. This is Antonio Conte's Tottenham hotspur. This is not some other guys. I'm, this is not Mourinho's hotspur. This is not Pochettino's. This is Antonio Conte and the difference, you know, and again, Mourinho's a winner. Don't get me wrong, but Antonio Conte seems to always be able to do more with less. Okay. And, mm. and, and not that he has less here at Spurs. I think he has the right pieces. And, and I think that Conte will be able to get this team through, you know, in, in a flash. I think, I think he will definitely win this group. I don't think there's much debate there. The interesting part's going to be behind him. Sporting, Eintracht and Marseille are all, all going to be level with each other and it's going to be interesting to see which team turns out second. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I agree, too. I I think, I don't know, I feel like maybe
2: Eintracht are kind of the side that are more favorite to finish second, just because I just think they're the better side. But uh, be careful on Marseille. Be careful on sporting as well. You know, those teams are always ones that could pose tricky, tricky scenarios. But, yeah, I think it's really straightforward for Tottenham and it's that battle for second, I think, that could... Really go all the way to the end of the, the group stage.
0: Yeah, and and you know Eintracht, looking at them so far in the Bundesliga, they've gotten off to a, a, a shaky start. Let's say they're currently ninth, eight points, two wins, two draws, one loss. So not terrible, but not uh, not exactly lighting the world on fire. There, uh, I haven't looked at Marseille's run just yet in the French uh league at the moment. I'm I'm efforting it real quick here as we talk uh, and Marseille are, are currently second, 16 points, five wins, one draw. So they are certainly off to the right start um, in, in, uh, in the French league uh, currently tied with PSG. So, yeah. you know, and that's the top of the table. So that is going to be the interesting chase there. Group E, I think, I think sets up straightforward Chelsea, AC Milan. I think Zag uh, Salzburg and Zagreb will both give a little bit of, of trouble to both teams, but uh, I think ultimately, especially with AC Milan, the way they performed in the in the derby this weekend, uh, we'll move through. I think Chelsea are a question, but I think quality-wise we'll certainly have more than enough to get through this side. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. I, I think it, it really is straightforward. I think it's it really is a toss-up between those two to see who goes first and who goes second. But hmm. I think ultimately it, it it should be pretty straightforward for those two.
0: Yeah, another one that for me – is on the, more on the straightforward side is uh, is Group F, Real Madrid. I, I think they're going to win it. I'm not to win the whole competition, but I think they'll win this group. You know, head head and shoulders above everybody else. I think RB Leipzig is going to finish second. Um, although I, I've got to say that I wasn't, you know, looking back on the transfer window uh, performances of these teams, I wasn't entirely enthusiastic about RB Leipzig. And they're currently sitting 11th in the Bundesliga behind uh, behind uh, Eintracht Frankfurt that we talked about before. Um, but, but Shakhtar Donetsk, they're not going to be playing any of their matches at home, given the situation in Ukraine. Um, you know, that, that is a very, very difficult challenge for any football club to have to not play any matches at home. Uh, they're all going to be played, I believe in Poland, if I remember correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that is a tough, that's a tough spot for them. And I, I feel terrible for them because it is, it's, it's such an ask um celtic i think will offer a little bit more of a challenge for everybody and, uh, and and ultimately i think they're probably going to be the team that moves on to the europa league but uh i think that's where it's going to be how about you
2: yeah yeah i think so too i think it really is really straightforward for Real Madrid, and i think leipzig are the one that kind of go in there as as runners up
0: yeah i think so too so obviously group g uh manchester city Erling Holland right now is just scoring goals for fun. Um, he's already on pace to break the uh, goal scoring record in the Premier League. Dortmund, um, you know, again have sold that that Erling Holland piece. They sold uh, a Kanji um, also in this uh, in this window. Uh, Sevilla, Sevilla is an interesting one to me because that's another team. As I was looking at their transfer window, did not really um, do themselves any favors. Currently off to a very very terrible start in the uh, in, in La Liga, they are seventeenth right now, only one draw, uh, one point, and that's to Valladolid uh, back on August eighteenth. So this team is really struggling. I, for me and Copenhagen, the battle is really going to be for this uh, for for this Europa League spot, and I don't know if Sevilla can hang on to it. Uh, I, I don't know if they have the quality. What are your thoughts here?
2: Yeah, it it, it really is tight it, it's almost as if it's it's kind of similar to that to that group d one i think there is a clear favorite in city but between sevilla and dortmund ah, it's almost as if it's destiny for dortmund to go in second and then sevilla go all the way to the, to the Europa league and win it so on that end i will favor dortmund to finish runners
0: up i'll tell you we're, we're um we're not we're not necessarily making predictions today but if i'm going to make a bold prediction today i'm going to say sevilla Get bounced out of all of it, and Copenhagen mm-hmm. goes to the Europa. I'm, I'm not, I'm really starting to feel that. I, I feel like this Sevilla team is just going the wrong way, uh, completely, and it's sad because it was such a strong side just a couple of years ago, um, that it's gone to this. But here we are. So, uh, last one, Group H: PSG, Juve, Maccabi Haifa, Benfica. Again, this is another one. We see two teams going through. We see two teams not. Um, Max Allegri was uh, criticized by the Juventus faithful we basically saying that, you know, in, in in short order to paraphrase what he said, didn't really care about this PSG matchup coming up. His his concerns were the Benfica matchups. Um, I, I get it. I, I understand. Um, it shows a lack of confidence, in my opinion, moving in. You want to you want to be the best. You're Juventus. You're not you're not some slouch side um, coming from, you know, Sicily or something. You you, you are Juventus. And you are what thirty-eight time uh, champion of Italy. You've won the Champions League. You've won everything there is to win. How can you not be confident going into to PSG? So that that mentality concerns me a little bit. Having said that, Juve have made some good moves this window. Uh, they are a strong side as long as Max doesn't get in the way. And uh, and I think that they will they'll beat Benfica. I I think they will move forward with uh, PSG but i do think with the lack of confidence and the lack of consistency right now coming out of turin uh that psg will win this group and juve will finish second. Uh yeah. No, i would i would agree
2: with you on that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously keep an eye on benfica, but uh yeah, it looks pretty straightforward to me.
0: Yeah, totally. So, i mean, we'll we'll get into predictions, you know, in terms of champions and stuff like that once once things settle down. We've got 32 teams to look at here. Um if you had to let's let's make a preliminary. This is not our official, but if you had to Pick a team to win the Champions League from this point. Who do you like?
2: Oh, man. I mean, I guess just because on the way that they've been playing so far, Mm -hmm. I kind of have the same Man City.
0: Yeah, I kind of do too. That's kind of where my head was going to. Uh, I think City. Um, You know, obviously the usual suspects, PSG, Real Madrid, I think will stick their noses in. Bayern Munich probably as well. Um, I don't know that Napoli will, I'm sorry that Liverpool will do it this time around, but yeah, that's where I'm going city as well. Um, but I think what we'll do is once we, once we whittle through the, uh, the group stages, we get through the world cup, we can settle our brains a little bit and then see who's injured, who's not, and then make a, a real prediction as to who's going to win the champions league, uh, coming up next year. So let's table far. that discussion for now, because we were able to be joined earlier by wild Jabir, uh, the Middle Eastern football journalist who's going to be covering the World Cup, among other things, had a great conversation about uh, the Qatari World Cup, as well as started to dabble in some of the Champions League talk as well. So without further ado, the Wild Jabir interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, Middle Eastern football journalist, Wael Jabir. Wael, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's great to have you on. I know we tried to have you on uh, a couple of years ago, and it uh, didn't work out scheduling-wise. So I'm really, really glad we got to talk to you. Um, you are an, an expert on Middle Eastern football, and especially with the Qatari World Cup coming up in just 77 days from now. Uh, some news breaking yesterday that Qatar will now allow alcoholic beer sales for the, uh, for the World Cup. Um, There are going to be certain times where it's going to be available. Um, And and many people, you know, the cynical people in the world expected this because Budweiser is such a powerful influence uh, with FIFA and the ability to have a World Cup and not have all the sponsors participate, I'm sure, was something that has been negotiated ever since the the World Cup was awarded to Qatar. Um, What are your thoughts on on this news breaking? Also, um, if you could go into depth as to what kind of rules that... Foreign travelers coming to Qatar for the World Cup might find different from then let's say, traveling to, um, you know, South America for World Cup or, or South Korea and Japan, like when they hosted it. What kind of rules will they find that would be different from uh, what they would consider normal travel uh, to a World Cup?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me finally, I guess, after two years. <laughs> and it's a pleasure being here with you guys. Uh, yeah, interesting developments over the past 24, 48 hours. Uh, and I think for me, I kind of felt like it was inevitable. Uh, it was just, yeah, obviously too big of an event, uh, not to have, obviously, as much as possible, the closest experience you could have to to a normal experience, which uh, you would have had in previous World Cups. Uh, and honestly, I think it's also indicative of the answer to your question, your last question about rules that could be different to previous World Cups. Because at the end of the day, uh, Honestly, like it or not, you know, for for Qataris, they're going to have to basically live with millions of fans arriving into Qatar for this month uh, from all over the world. Uh, People with different cultures, different traditions, uh, people who are used to a different experience of a World Cup. And at the end of the day, I think uh, Qatar and Qatari people in general will have to make exceptions for that month. I think definitely it's going to be something out of the ordinary for them. And this is just yeah one one part of it. I I guess the the serving of alcohol in football matches, albeit with exceptions, as you've mentioned, with within specific time frames, within specific locations as well. uh, It's still it's a huge step compared to to previous tournaments, and let's not forget this includes FIFA tournaments, like obviously Qatar has hosted the FIFA Club World Cup a few times, has hosted the newly introduced FIFA Arab Cup last year, and in all of those events there was no alcohol served in stadiums, uh, but obviously the World Cup is something of a totally different magnitude and, and it just had to happen. Uh, again, you can look at it from, from a cynical perspective, as you mentioned, uh, talking about the power of Budweiser, but at the end of the day, uh, if it had gone any other way, again, people would have been cynical about it. So, you know, you can't really please everyone. So I guess it just had to be done. And, and yeah, in my opinion, I think it's I think it's the right decision.
2: It, it really is something that I thought it was inevitable because I think there's just so much money and so much influence coming into that. So it kind of felt like, yeah, it was going to happen, but we're going to try to make it as pleasable as it can be for the fans. And I think that's what people wanted to do. And And honestly... Going into this, like Joe had mentioned, we're about 70 days from the start of the World Cup. I mean, obviously, it's it's a weird one for all of us, you know, myself, Joe, and you as well, while just having to be accustomed to really be witnessing a World Cup in November, December, when we've been used to it in June and July for various decades. So I just wanted your thoughts on how you've been able to see how the country has been preparing. I mean, obviously, I think I've seen some stuff of, like, many people going to Doha and seeing all these really nice stadiums, if I have to say, albeit obviously there was some controversy into it, but it's obviously a different conversation itself. But I think, you know, from what we've been seeing from people over there in, in Doha, seeing how I think everyone is is preparing for it, I think also there were some issues as well in terms of accommodation because, as you know, this is a really – this is a small country. It's only a country of, um, I believe, only 2 million people and, you know, a majority of them all are already based in – what, 80%, I think, of the nation's population in Doha. So I just wanted your thoughts well, on, like, how have you seen the country so far? And, you know, with obviously 70 days for this World Cup, are they ready to host this event? And, you know, is there something that could indeed be improved from here on out? Yeah,
1: it is, uh, it is interesting seeing how Qatar has changed. Uh, I think I've been to Qatar the first time was maybe over a decade ago, so probably right around the time they've announced Qatar would be hosting the World Cup, and I've had the yeah, the pleasure of you know seeing changes happening in the country year after year after year, seeing how it's prepared for the World Cup from the very beginning, and that includes last year I went and I spent uh, the entire Arab Cup in December, which uh, FIFA and the organizers have used as sort of a, a trial event for the World Cup. They've tried to basically implement very much uh, everything that they will they will be doing for the World Cup so that that was kind of like a mini test albeit of course with half the number of teams and a fraction of of the number of fans arriving uh, but it did it did show a lot of things uh, I think for me one of the key things I've observed uh, during that period is Qatar would actually have to Look to spread fans around the country. You mentioned that, yeah, 80% of the population lives in Doha, and then within that, also, you know, there is only a handful of tourist, touristic places, only a handful of places where, you know, people would go to enjoy their day outside of matches. So the challenge is, how do you relieve the, the pressure of those places? I remember being in Souq which is sort of like the old town, old market in the center of Doha last year. And with just fans of the 16 Arab countries uh, participating in the Arab Cup, majority of whom actually already live in Qatar, not many people have traveled from from other Arab countries, and it was absolutely packed. Uh, same thing happened. I was there for the for the playoffs when we had fans, you know, from Peru, from Costa Rica, uh, Australia. Again, those were only like you know four countries playing in the playoffs, or five countries if you count the UAE as well in the Asian playoff. And again, the center of Doha was already packed with fans. So I just can't begin to imagine how it's gonna look like with fans of 32 countries, with the huge numbers who are gonna come for the World Cup. But that being said, I think the, the big difference, and it is something that Qatar has worked on, uh, especially over the past few months, is making this a World Cup, not just for Qatar, but for the entire region. Uh, a few things that I don't know if uh, they have received the exposure uh, abroad that it, that they have in this region is, for example, deals that have been made with countries like the UAE, uh, Saudi, and Kuwait to have people based in those countries and have daily shuttle flights, so people can be based in Dubai, they can be based in Saudi, and basically the, there will be shuttle flights dedicated for match ticket holders. So basically, you cannot board those flights unless you have a World Cup ticket. So I think this will will do a lot to relieve some of the pressure of accommodation, as you mentioned. Uh, obviously, a place like Dubai, which has uh, yeah, always, you know, receives like minimum of 20 million visitors every year, uh, has a huge supply of hotels and tourist facilities, it will do a lot. I think a lot of people will base themselves out of Dubai, out of, you know, and a lot of people will try to experience the rest of the region while being in the Middle East. So, yeah, I think, you know, uh, not as worried about accommodation, but just worried about, you know, the spread of fans and in general, the facilities being able to accommodate uh, fans throughout the day.
2: I guess also, you know, kind of more of a simple question into that. I guess what are some of the, not really the challenges, but I think something for fans to really look out for into this World Cup. And, you know, I, I guess you can play tourist guide if you want to and this one while. But just, you know, what what do you feel as if though for fans that maybe are listening in or and indeed will travel to? Qatar for this World Cup should look out for, really, in terms of in terms of being in the country and having a good
1: time? Yeah, I think uh, th- I know a lot of fans have been concerned about uh, the weather, but this being uh, a Winter World Cup, as you've mentioned, uh, it's going to be a completely different experience, I think, uh, for me as someone who lives in this part of the world. I actually tend to never leave the region around the November, December, because this is the best weather you get. So we always kind of spend like 90% of your time outdoors. So it is an ideal, this is going to be an ideal weather for people. Uh, you know, and, and with Doha being a small place, as I mentioned the center of Doha is quite lovely, quite walkable. So being in places like Souq Waqif, as I mentioned, but again, I'm not going to try to contribute to making the place even more congested. So there is quite a lot of places away from that there are the two you can call them cities but uh in reality is the places like al-wakra and al-khor which are sort of the northernmost and the southernmost tips of uh of doha and where the the two big stadiums uh, al-bayt stadium and uh al Janoub stadium they're kind of the furthest two points you travel to they're only like a, an hour and a half from each other uh, but those are sort of like sleepy towns with nice beaches, parks, stuff like that. So I think those also will be will be good options for people trying to kind of stay away from the crowd. Uh, I guess it's not what you want to do in a World Cup, but also I think it's going to be impossible to escape the crowds. There will be crowds everywhere. So yeah, they will be less busy than the center of the city. Uh, one of the interesting things in Qatar, in again, seeing that developing over the past, then 10 years or so, Qatar didn't have a public transport system at all when it was awarded the World Cup, and now it has an extensive metro system that connects uh, the three cities, connects all stadiums. So it's going to make things a lot easier to to travel around the, the country. Interestingly, uh, I've heard, and this is yet to be officially confirmed, but I have heard reports that basically use of private cars is going to be banned during the World Cup in the in the city center. So basically, people will have to use basically public transportation, buses, the metro, or taxis to get around, which which is actually, I think, is a good thing to to kind of relieve the congestion because, yeah, Doha has, is a fairly small city. So there would be a lot of traffic if everyone was driving their own cars around.
0: Now, Well, I, I want to jump in quickly here because... Um, Obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, It it has not been declared over. So are there going to be any restrictions that you've heard of in terms of COVID restrictions or guidelines that fans may need to know about coming into Qatar for the World Cup?
1: As things stand, not much. Uh, I think the most recent experience I've had with this was uh, obviously the the playoffs where we had, uh, if I remember correctly, there were like 10,000 fans who came over from Costa Rica and Peru. And there was very much nothing, honestly, in terms of uh, in terms of control, in terms of uh, restrictions. Uh, yeah, they've already lifted all restrictions to do with masks wearing. Uh, depending on the country you're traveling from, for sure there will be some sort of thing, you know, about showing your vaccination status, stuff like that. But I guess that's country specific. I don't think Qatar has anything that is blanket for everyone arriving into the country or getting around the country.
2: I was about to say as well. Uh, well, what about you know? You know, you said about public transportation. Would Uber as well be something that people would need to rely on, or would it have to be from different other companies as
1: well? Uh, Uber is there, but there are also local alternatives to it. So one of the most popular versions in in the Middle East is called Careem, and Careem was sort of uh, it was actually grew out of Dubai, so it was a local startup uh, in the region, but eventually it was bought out by Uber itself. So, but until uh, today in the Middle East, most people use the Korean app, which is, yeah, at the end, it connects you basically to a different app, but also owned by the same company.
2: Indeed, indeed. I just wanted to switch gears now and uh, switch about to the actual national team because obviously this is a World Cup where, you know, I think a lot of pressure is obviously on the favorites, on the dark horse, but always. Always on the host, and you know, in Qatar, this is their first ever World Cup, which for any country is is an honor. It can add a bit more pressure. Some kind of expectations are different depending on what team you are. But in Qatar's case, and I had the fortune to have watched Qatar over the years. Of, I saw them in a the Copa America against Paraguay, where they drew 2-2. La two years ago, I saw them. Actually, no, last year I saw them. Get a draw against uh, Panama 3-3 in Houston for the Gold Cup. And this team actually went very far in that competition as well, going all the way to the semifinals. Looking at their records so far, uh, at least this year, they played a lot of games against various European teams, clubs, and also countries based in Africa and, and CONCACAF as well. Only lost one out of the majority of the games so far. So I just wanted your thoughts on how you see this team under Felix Sanchez. Obviously, they're going to be paired up in a group with Netherlands, Senegal, the the reigning Afcon champions, and Ecuador. So, not exactly uh, an easy group to say the least, but also a hard one, I would say for for all these teams because obviously they're playing in a in a country that they haven't played before. And you know, I think sometimes that gives that kind of advantage to Qatar into this World Cup, playing on home field. So, I just wanted your thoughts on how you see them, and you know, honestly, do you fancy their chances to to do well and, and and obviously you know kind of repeat the trends excluding obviously South Africa I think in 2010 were a host as well in the competition
1: well honestly I'm I'm quite excited about uh, the Qatar national team uh, for probably a number of reasons but uh, one of the biggest is basically it's it's a different project it's a project that I don't believe we've seen uh, at this scale anywhere in the past so, to, to give uh, people who don't have as much idea of this team, this team started to be developed in 2006. So, that is, you know, I would say, what, five years or six years before Qatar was awarded the World Cup. And that was basically when when the Aspire Academy was set up in, in Qatar and a number of coaches, including Felix Sanchez, were brought over. And he was brought over, obviously, without managerial experience. He was a coach at, uh, at Barcelona Academy. Uh, and and a bunch of other coaches came through, and they started developing talent from from within. And obviously, there is a lot of talk in international media of people, honestly, who probably don't have as much knowledge of Qatar or or the components of the team, that this is a team that was gathered from around the world, which is not exactly correct. Uh, The vast majority of this team are players who are either born in Qatar or came to Qatar at a very young age for reasons have, that have nothing to do with football. So people, you know, who are sons of expats who came to Qatar to work in different industries and then just enrolled in this academy and kind of grew into becoming national team players. Uh, yes, there are exceptions. I think there are three players who arrived to Qatar as adults. So one of whom, the right back, Pedro Miguel from Portugal, who's arrived as, a, I think, a 19-year-old. Uh, and a couple more, but the majority are homegrown players who have kind of came through the Aspire Academy. Uh, they won the Asian Cup under 19. They won the Asian Cup under 16. They qualified to the World Cup, uh, I think, under 20. And then they, they obviously last in 2019. They won the Asian Cup for the first time in Qatar's history, having prior to that only reached the quarterfinals. So that was a huge achievement for Qatar as well. Uh, they've surprised many. But they've looked very solid. If you, if you look at their 2019 Asian Cup campaign, which was played in the UAE, uh, I, if I recall correctly, they've conceded only one goal the entire tournament, and they've beat teams you know, like they've beat teams like Korea and Japan to win it. So it's not like it came easy to them. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, obviously they've played in different uh, continents. They have been preparing, and this is also another interesting part to it. I don't recall a team in recent times that has played as many friendlies to prepare for a World Cup. And the other aspect to this that many people are not aware of, the Qatar national team is already in camp for the World Cup. So all 35 players in the squad have actually been excluded from their clubs. They're not playing league football at the moment. They are already in a closed camp uh, somewhere in Europe.
0: Well, that's, that's actually interesting to know because... Uh, and it kind of is a nice segue for where I wanted to go with the interview because um, to have a team already kind of condensed and secluded and preparing uh, is interesting given that the rest of the world is competing in club competitions where the the schedule is really condensed, right? Uh, we talk about normally this this time of year when we have this anniversary show. Uh, We're only about two matches, maybe if you're lucky, three matches into league competition. We're just preparing for Champions League, and now we find ourselves six matches in. Uh, We've already seen midweek matches in many of the leagues, and and we're we're right on the cusp of Champions League play, so... um, how do you think that will affect both the Qatari team and the rest of the world in terms of how uh, the rest of the world is playing kind of a, a microwaved version of their schedule where Qatar is able to grow into the schedule and then, uh, and then move forward?
1: Yeah, the obvious answer there being it's going to give them an advantage. But on the other side, you're looking at, you know, if you're a player who have been part of a project for over a decade, and your sole purpose is to basically make it to the second round of a World Cup at home. This is immense pressure. The World Cup is already a huge pressure on any player, but to, to know that you know your entire career has been groomed towards this point, i don't know i'm If I'm worried about Qatar not delivering at home, uh, if we look at purely at the tactical, technical level and their preparations. I'm of the opinion that they can make it to the second round. I know many people would tend to disagree, but I think they can do it. Uh, you mentioned their coca uh, Gold Cup run. Uh, they they looked competitive in, in the Copa America. They looked competitive even in the European qualifiers. Uh, so I think they have what it takes to go to the next round. The one part that I'm worried about is that they could mentally collapse just with the weight of expectations. So that would be an interesting part to to see.
0: Oh, certainly. I, you know, sometimes though, the weight of expectation is also uh, bolstered by the uh, the support of the of the home crowd. It's home field advantage. It's it's going to be interesting to see how the Qatari team handles the pressure and the support um, in in the tournament moving forward. So, while we're while we're talking about tournament, we've moved on to the pitch. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts quickly on the Champions League, which kicks off this week. Uh, you know, we had the draw. I, I'd say a little over 10, 11 days ago. And uh, and the groups obviously have been set. Uh, the toughest one, I think, met by by all accounts, is going to be Group C with Bar- Barcelona, Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, and Victoria Pilsen. Uh, you know, th- there's it's it's definitely a, a group of former champions. It's a group of strong sides. We see the amount of money Barcelona spent uh, in this transfer window, which we have no idea where that money came from, but uh, they did spend it. What are your thoughts on? that group in particular and and the overall draw were there any surprises or any uh any meet up, any any um any matches that you thought are are intriguing to you
1: yeah obviously i think attention is has to go to to group c with uh three very powerful teams being in that group but and again also a lot of talk about group a as well with Okay, Liverpool not being in top form, I think that's something we are going to touch on later on. But yeah, uh, you'd have to think, you know, Ajax and Napoli, our teams are capable of testing Liverpool at that level, and we could see a surprise there. I think Cause there are room for, for surprises in in one or one or more groups in the Champions League. But uh, to come to to the point you've mentioned earlier, the World Cup, the contested schedule means squad depth is going to be. Probably going to be all about squad depth in this Champions League, you know, which teams and some teams I think might want to prioritize Champions League or league football. So I think we will see some surprise results, and I will we will see some teams that you know decide it's not worth it. Let's just focus on our league football, uh, and we will see players who who will be cautious as well. Obviously, nobody wants to miss out on the World Cup, so it will be interesting to see how individual players approach the competition.
0: And, and you bring up a great point with the uh, with the Napoli uh, Liverpool matchup in Group A, because it, it's it's very interesting looking back on the weekend. Napoli come through with a with a hard fought victory at Lazio, uh, come from behind victory to say the least. While Liverpool, um, although had all the attacking in the world, were not able to put anything through Jordan Pickford in a nil nil draw in the Merseyside derby. Um, and and I know that Liverpool have been showing some struggles as of late. Is this something that should concern Jurgen Klopp, where a Napoli side that, that is capable of scoring bunches of goals, um, if they come out and, and really kind of thrash them in this first match in, in Naples, um, could set the tone for the group and for Liverpool moving forward?
1: Yes and no uh i think yes liverpool have been struggling not just in, in in the merseyside derby since the start of the season we've seen them look a bit shaky obviously losing to manchester united and um, they've just not looked their best uh in injuries have played their roles but even injuries aside i think they, the available players have not have not played at their best uh i think they're in a bit of a transition period obviously having for so long, relied on a fixed front three with Salah, Mane, and Fir- and Firmino. That has been changing. Obviously, Mane going to Bayern Munich. Uh, Nunez coming in, being introduced into the side. Uh, Luis Diaz getting starting to adapt to a starting role. I think a lot of a lot of changes there, and I think this is going to be a transitional season for for Liverpool. However, uh, I think historically we've seen that Liverpool are. One of those, if you would call a Champions League team, they are a team that is capable of performing well in the Champions League, mm-hmm. even at their worst seasons. We've seen them throughout, you know, Rafa Benitez times where they were not doing very well in the in the Premier League, but still managed to to win the Champions League and go go to the semi final a couple of times as well. So yeah, you you cannot discount Liverpool in the Champions League,
0: of course. Uh, and, and I want to I want to close with one more one more question with Champions League. And again, thank you for all this time. Um, I'd be remiss not to ask you about Juventus because they're my team. Uh, they have not looked exactly strong. Uh, they were very lackluster on the weekend. 1-1 one, one, one draw against Fiorentina yesterday. Um, they managed to beat Spezia 2-0 at home, but again, that was uh, with a 91st-minute goal from Ad- Ar- Eric Milik. Uh, they were 1-1 against uh, Roma, where uh, Tammy Abraham scores in the second half. And, and Juve in that match didn't really show a lot of a lot of bite uh, in, in their attacking. In fact, in the last three or four matches, including the Samp match, they um, they really haven't shown a lot of of bite. Uh, it seems like Vlahovic is a little frustrated by what's going on now. Granted, Leandro Paredes just comes in. This is his first match. Uh, you know th- There are a few pieces that have moved uh, since uh, the start of the season. But Juve now face PSG. And PSG, we know the goal with PSG, it is to win the Champions League. The, all the other competitions... Do not matter in Paris at this point. The only goal is to win the Champions League, and uh, I think PSG are going to fancy Juve as a as a formidable test to start their campaign. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this particular matchup this week, and and really what Juve look like moving forward? Honestly, I think this is a very
1: interesting matchup, probably one of the most interesting for me.
0: Well, I'll we'll have to add to
1: the caveat that obviously I'm a Roma fan, so I've been quite enjoying <laughs> UV struggles in this area. But, uh, well, they have one thing to their side. They have a relative stability, obviously, with uh, with Max Allegri being there. I know not, not many of UV fans are not huge fans of the brand of football he plays, uh, but he does bring the stability. He knows the club inside out. And and that's something that they have over PSG obviously with Galtier coming in, uh kind of changing things around, uh seems to be delivering positive results so far. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, that's where where it's gonna be played. I guess Juve can surprise a few. I mean the Roma game, yeah, it ended in a draw, but I think it's it was Juventus' best performance of the season. They played they looked solid and especially in the first half they looked in total control. So they have it in them to put a fight, they have it in them to get a result. Uh
0: but yeah, you're you're absolutely
1: you're right. I think PSG are fencing the Champions League and they are gonna go all out for it.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with you as well. Well, before we let you go, where can people find your work? Well, I'm on Twitter as Wael Jabir, that's W A E
1: L J A B I R and from there yeah, I share most of my work for various clients, uh obviously right, for many publications, uh, federations, etc. So last, in general, you'll find most of it retweeted on my Twitter account.
0: Fantastic. Again, thank you for joining us on the show. It was an absolute pleasure to finally have you on and, and talk in depth about the World Cup. We look forward to actually having you to preview uh, the Qatari national team when we actually do our, our World Cup previews. So we hope to have you back for that. And uh, all the best moving forward, my friend.
1: Thank you very much, guys. And hopefully we'll get to see you down in Qatar in November, December.
0: And special thanks again to YL Jabir for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have a very, very, very full week of football to bring you this week. So let me jump into it with our matches of the week on Tuesday. We have a doubleheader at 3 p.m. with PSG Juventus and Sevilla Man City will kick off the Champions League coverage. On Wednesday, Inter-Bayern Munich and Napoli Liverpool, a lot of Italian teams um, with tough matches to open up their Champions League runs this week. Those two matches on Wednesday for Inter-Bayern and Napoli Liverpool, also 3 p.m. On Thursday... We kick the Europa League off with United and Sociedad. Real Sociedad uh, at 3 p.m., but before that, we're going to add a conference league match with Nice and Cologne at 12.45 p.m. Then we're going to hit Saturday in the German Bundesliga, RB Leipzig, Borussia Dortmund, 9.30 a.m. Then we have a big one for me, Spurs and Manchester City in the Premier League at 12.30 p.m., and then at night, LAFC and Dallas will kick off at 8.30 p.m. to see if LAFC can kind of keep pace with Philadelphia union for that supporter shield title. Then on Sunday, we start off your morning with real Madrid, Mallorca at 8. AM. We then go to Italy for Lazio and and Verona at noon. And we're going to close out the weekend with Monaco and Lyon at 2 45 PM. Roberto earlier, I gave you the trivia question. I'd like to give it to you again. Let's do it. All right. So Hani Mukhtar has joined an exclusive list of players in MLS with 20 goals and 10 assists in a single season. How many other players have done this?
2: I feel like it's a rare feat. That's why you're asking me this. So
0: I'm going to say four. Four is correct. I think I let the answer slip when I was, when I was given the question. Um, but four is the correct answer. Do you want to try and throw a couple names at me? No. Okay, because no, they're actually. all very recent. The, the first time it was done was 2015. Okay. Believe it or not. So, um, I, and so I'll give you the names. Uh, and the first person to do it in 2015 was Sebastian Jovinko. Mm. Second person to do it was 2017 in Diego Valeri. Uh, 2018 gave us Zlatan Ibrahimović. And then most recently, Carlos Vela did it in 2019. So Jovinko, Valeri, Zlatan, Carlos Vela, Hani Mukhtar. The only five players now total that have given you 20 goals and 10 assists in a single season in MLS. Great, great question. And as MLS starts to get towards the end here in playoffs, it's they're, they're, things have really started to heat up there. It's going to be interesting to see. Austin FC also, by the way, has really, really uh, done well in their second season. They're currently second in the Western Conference. Um, so they're they're going to be a team to keep an eye out for. They actually beat um, LAFC a couple of weeks ago 3-0 uh, in the heat in Texas. So, there is uh there there's there's some rumblings going on there. It's going to be a close playoff race. LAFC is not running away with this, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the playoffs. So, without any further things left on the docket, my friend, let's close out nine years and uh and start working on year ten. Let's do it. All right, here we go so for episode 366 of low limit football special thanks again to wild jabir for joining us on the show next week we will give you the rundown as the champions league kicks off week one we start to look at the international window coming up uh, and our breaks as they head into the world cup and we'll give you all the action from the leagues around the world so for nine years and episode 366 of low limit football i am joe usella thank you everyone for listening to us through the years we really appreciate all the support uh thanks for listening and good night